0: So today, as Scott told us, is the beginning of a season the church has historically called Advent. Advent is uh, from a Latin word, like a lot of things in church history, it comes from Latin. It's actually the joining of two different words that means to come, and it points us to Jesus and his coming into the earth. It's Christmas. We're waiting on Christmas Day. In the secular world, that's the celebration. The advent calendars count down until Christmas Day. We celebrate opening presents, feasting with family, all that's good that comes with Christmas. And every year it happens sooner and sooner. So like around Halloween, I guess, where Christmas decorations start going up. People get excited about it. Certain people play music too soon. But, you know, who puts rules on these things? so what if you break social norms? It's America. This is what we do, right? We're adolescents. We do what we want. So Advent, to me and to the Crossing Church, to us, I think, should be far more than those things. Certainly, it's okay to enjoy that kind of stuff. However you want to enjoy the holiday season, celebrate it, celebrate big, but certainly there's more to it if it's really about Jesus. So this idea of Waiting that we emphasized in our in our prayer earlier. This waiting, this anticipating. It's gonna bother me. I gotta fix the mic. This an, this anticipating. There we go. That'll work right there. I'm just gonna leave it right there. Can y'all hear me? All right, good. I don't have the voice to shout a whole sermon like some people do, so I really do need the microphone. But our our ex our expectant waiting is what we're getting at. This this coming of Jesus that Israel waited on he showed up. And this return of Jesus that the church ever since has been waiting on, we know he'll show up. This anticipated arrival. The reason we're doing everything we're doing. God's people waited centuries for the prophesied Messiah. For centuries they waited. They went through a lot of stuff, slavery and bondage and captivity. They they endured silence from the Lord. 400 years of silence is that that blank page between the Old and New Testament, that's 400 years of nothing from any prophet of God. They waited. This longing, you can hopefully feel the longing for Advent. This time of the year, we aim as the church to slow down, though the culture seems to be speeding up. As soon as, like you still have turkey on your breath, and you're rushing into stores to get stuff, The busyness of the season can be so distracting from the waiting that we need to be having for the coming of our Lord. The celebration of Christmas is far more than gifts and decorations and good music and good smells and good food. All good things, but there's more to it. So the waiting is for something better than what we have. We get to celebrate and, and enjoy a lot of things here and now. But the waiting is because we know there's something better than what we have right now. And in that waiting, there's this sensation, this sort of, this tension even, this, this feeling of expectation that we call hope. So we're going to look at, for the next four weeks, the themes of Advent We've done, we've done different ideas behind the sermon series in the past. They're always kind of topical, but rooted deeply in Scripture and the gospel narrative that f- informs so much of who we are as a church, and, and I think that it's best for us this year to consider these very simple themes, hope, peace, love, and joy. And so today we're going to talk about this feeling, this tension, hope. Hope. And the biblical Hebrew has two words for hope. One is more of this sort of time's going to pass by. I have an understanding that good things are going to come. So I'm just going to wait and hope for those good things. It's more of a verb. I'm hoping for something. And then there's this more of a noun sense, but it's intangible. So it's like this tension. In fact, it comes from the idea of a cord being pulled. And there's tension in the cord. So it may feel like to some people more like anxiety, but the tension is building and the cord is stretching and it's stretching and it's stretching. And we know for sure at some point the cord's going to break. There's going to be release. But don't think, of it as, don't think of it as a negative thing. Don't think of it as you're released to fall. But instead, think of it as you're released to be free. There's a tension. There's something holding us back. We're not quite able to get where we should be. There's, the kingdom of God is trying to burst forth, and it can't quite get through, and the tension is building, and it's building, and we have hope because we know for certain it's going to release. That's, that's the hope we find in Scripture. That's the hope we have in God. It's not this indifference in the world, this possibility. It's not optimism. It's not maybe it'll work out. I see how things logically could go and here's one of the options so I'm going to hope for that one because it's the best one. It's not that and it's not this wishful thinking like the Cowboys could still get in the playoffs. It's not that. It could happen. It's in their hands. They just got to win. It's gonna it's gonna happen. I hope. We're not talking about that. This hope is different. This hope is sure. This hope is guaranteed. It's looking to God knowing his promises will be fulfilled because he's always been faithful. It's not based on the circumstances. It's based on the object of our hope, a God who is faithful. The world thinks this is foolish. The world thinks this is crazy that we would hope in this way. With such confidence, we'd hope for something that honestly doesn't seem to be how it's gonna work out if you just look at stuff. Things are bad. I don't know if you've noticed. It doesn't seem hopeful. We have every reason to not hope. Death is real, cancer is real. There's war, there's poverty, there's suffering all over the world. Everything to the eyes, seems to be going the opposite direction of anything our hope would tell us. Everything is going the opposite direction. Let's let's be honest about it. Don't put on this, I'm happy, it's Christmas, everything's fine, it's going to get better one day. That's not the hope of Scripture. That's optimism. That's good. Have optimism. We need you people to get through. Can't have a bunch of pessimists and survive. We need optimism, but that's not what the Bible calls hope. This hope is different. This hope is honest. It's saying, everything around me is falling apart. The world is horrible. There's nothing good here for us. There's this temptation, the appearance of goodness, and we we, we give into it because we think it's gonna satisfy and it fails us again and again. It's constantly disappointing us. That's not the hope of scripture. The hope of scripture doesn't disappoint, it doesn't leave us ashamed. It says, despite the circumstances, I have hope because we know God. In fact, looking at the world, we'd say it's going to take a miracle, and that's exactly the point. It took a miracle. It took God taking on flesh and entering our space and our hopelessness and our helplessness and giving us in the flesh hope, seeing his faithfulness, and that's exactly what hope is. Hope is faith. But it's a future sense of faith. It's faith for the future based on the current and historic faithfulness of God. That's hope. And we can be sure that we don't deserve it. We can be sure it's by grace, it's by His mercy that we have any chance at having hope. And, and there was only one way that we could get it, and God had to come, and He did. He had to give up his life, and he did it. The first advent is a celebration because God has shown his faithfulness and that he's never left his people, though there was silence. He showed up Christmas Day. We celebrated. Angels filled the sky and sang about it because there's reason to be hopeful now. He's shown us we can be hopeful. The life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, the, and the anticipated return of Jesus gives us a similar but different kind of hope. That's what I was talking about is the Old Testament hope. The New Testament hope is very similar, but it's different because it's a present hope. It's a living hope. It's with us right now, though it's still future. It's already, but still not yet. Genesis, we see this this picture of God creating everything. He puts everything in its place. He creates the heavens. He creates the earth. You might know the story. He puts everything in the earth, and it's good. The epitome of his creation is man and woman. And together, they complement one another. They're beautiful. And he says they're very good. Naked and unashamed, they're before each other. There's nothing to be ashamed of. We can't even fathom that feeling, but they felt it, and it was good, and they walked with the Lord, and they had one rule to follow. Don't eat of this tree. You can do anything else, literally anything else. Don't eat of this tree. And they do it. And sin enters the heart of man and enters the world, and we have what we call the fall, a fall from grace a separation from this promise. In fact, now there's a promise of death. Yet it's not necessarily our death because he already has a plan. God already knew what we would do and he already had a plan to pour out that wrath on his son. So God's never been hopeless. In fact, God doesn't even need hope. But in that moment, Adam and Eve felt hopeless, and they ran. And sin breaks things, and it broke them, and it broke their relationship with God. It broke their relationship with one another. And not to get too philosophical here, but we have to understand why we need hope. So the very presence of sin in the world from the fall till now, the very presence of sin, because of the brokenness, because of the pain, brings us to a point that we now have the possibility for and the reason for hope. If not for sin, if not for the fall, there would never need to be hope. So, their sin, their fall from God, gives us reason for hope, and God Himself continues to be that hope. Without sin, without the fall, we don't need hope. So, it stands to reason that we need to be more aware of our sin. We need to understand the fall. We need to understand how far we are, how hopeless we are for us to rightly understand hope. And the world has given us plenty of reasons and plenty of ways to understand hopelessness and it's not what it should be to any degree. Though the most beautiful things still bring us joy, like sunsets and and love and family and good food and good music and Presence on christmas day that we have a lot of reasons to be happy it's still all very broken and we're reminded of that often and we see it all throughout scripture relationships have gone from bad to worse over time we see these it's kind of like this up and down of seems like things are really good in your life just think about you you don't have to think about everybody else You have relationships. You have life. There's good times. There's bad times. seems like we're making progress, but sanctification isn't necessarily linear. It's it's up and down. I'm far from God. I'm close to God. I'm far from God. I'm close to God. I like to think that at the same time, it is moving forward. Like we are getting better. And we can be hopeful in that because the Bible tells us he's conforming us into the image of God. And so I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel very low. Sometimes I feel very hopeless. And I, don't, I can't look at a lot of points in my life where I have reason to be very hopeful. But I can always look to Jesus. can always look to God. can always remember the faithfulness of my Father and be hopeful for tomorrow. The tension is being hopeful right now. So... Ever since people were sinners, even the people of God, we've constantly chose to protect ourselves, to build our own kingdoms, to defend ourselves, to take matters into our own hands. And I don't, I don't know if you've read the Old Testament, but it was kind of buck wild. It was rough. Siblings in their relationships with one another, from the very first sibling pair, we have a murder and a runaway. And it continues, that pattern continues, and they're ruled. Siblings are ruled by jealousy and hate and suspicion and betrayal, selling one another into slavery, hating one another, desiring birthrights, desiring favor from mothers and fathers. There's all kinds of tension in between siblings, so much so that it would often lead to murder. Relationships between man and woman have not been any better There's been some bright points in Scripture if you read the relationships of how men pursued their wives and wives honored their husbands and this loving demonstration of Christ and his church long before Christ entered the world. There's there's these beautiful pictures for sure, but there's also this mixed mixed emotions, this mixed pictures of sin creeping in and bursting forth and deception and seduction and assault and incest and all-out abandonment of God's design for marriage. All of this grieves our Father, the Creator, the, the one in whom we're ima- the image were made. Like we're not bearing his image in our relationships, and it grieves him. This doesn't even get into the interpersonal struggles. I love the psychology of the individuals in Scripture. If you study their relationships and how they interact, and you consider what we know about human nature, because the people in the Bible are people. Let's remember, they have souls, they have emotions. So Abraham received this promise from God, the one who heard God say, I'm going to do all these things, I'm going to multiply your children. Father Abraham, the one who has many sons, (laughs) allowed for fear to control him. So much so that he became a liar denying his wife, calling her his sister because he was afraid. He had to control the things around him. Moses, the one, the baby in the river and taken in, raised, we talked about him last week. Moses never found his way home. He struggled with his identity his entire life, plagued with insecurities that led him to disobedience that kept him from going into the promised land. A man So close to God, his face glowed. Not figuratively, but it actually glowed. This man doesn't get to see the promised land. Because he never finds who he is. Now, I believe Abraham and Moses are people of God. I believe they're with him. But their lives demonstrate sin's control. Samson, the strongest man alive, wasn't strong enough to defeat his lust. It overcame him. It took his dignity. It took his hair. It took his eyes. Eventually, it took his life. David, this man we we hold up as a pillar of faith, this man after God's heart, had deep father wounds because Jesse, his dad, forgot him in the field. Didn't even consider him as the possible king. And those continue to play out in his life, in his relationship with Saul, Saul. And his relationship with his own sons, his, his relationship with women. Certainly, he's a man of God. But he's not the hero. Samson's not the hero. Moses isn't the hero. Abraham's not the hero. Jesus is. We don't have hope because these guys did good. We see their sin, they're just as hopeless as we are. We see their struggle. We see the tensions in the text. Read into the story people, because they're people. And see God revealed as the hero again and again. He's our reason for hope. And despite the brokenness, we're actually incredible beings, made in the image of God, loaded with potential from the womb. But we're humans. We're limited, we're fragile, we're dependent, we're helpless. We need something and someone beyond us. We know that we don't have power over sin. We see it gripping our lives if we're just honest. We know that the world on its own cannot overcome sin and its effects. We see it if we're just honest. Everything, honestly, is hopeless. That's not pessimism. That's reality. But we have a creator who has not given up on his creation. We have a God who all throughout the Old Testament, when we see the failures of Israel and the individuals in the text, we see a God who pursues with grace and with mercy again and again and again. He continues knowing what it's going to eventually take. He's just demonstrating all along. This is who I am. I'm the hero. I'm the faithful one. I'm your reason for hope. Again and again. And the tension and the rope builds. And they're anticipating his coming. Because he told them he'd come. And he's always been faithful. We feel this tension as well as we wait Jesus' return. He came, certainly. He's our hope. Hopefully you got that. But he's not here in the flesh right now. He's here in the church. We are the body of Christ. And we long for the completion of this. We want it to be over. Scott said, Maranatha, Lord, return. Lord, come. The suffering continues. And the New Testament church certainly got this. And Paul, more than anyone, wrote about it a lot to the Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter 5 in just a minute. To the Romans, Paul writes this incredible letter. It's packed with theology of human nature and human struggle, the sin and how it affects us and how it changes us and keeps us from God. And then he gets into salvation, thankfully. There's hope in salvation. There's hope in Jesus. We, We cannot be ashamed of this gospel because it has the power to save us from our hopelessness. All humans fall short of God's standard for righteousness. We all deserve wrath because the penalty for our sin is death. We all deserve it. There's no one good, not one, but through his people, God will proclaim this message, this message of hope. And though we constantly reject him, even though now we know him, we still turn from him again and again god proves to be the same faithful gracious pursuing god that he's always been and he provides a means for salvation a reason for hope and it was it was always the plan even while we were still sinners and that gets us into romans chapter 5 we're going to read the first 11 verses of romans chapter 5 and this is going to be our text for the next 4 weeks to see these themes, hope, peace, love, and joy. They're all present. So this, though you may never have thought of it as one before, is an Advent text, at least for our purposes. All right, I'm going to read all 11 verses, but we're going to focus in on just a few of them. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, God over all creation has declared us righteous by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ we we have also obtained access through him by faith into the grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God not only that but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that the afflictions produce endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us, because God loves God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Verse 6, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, how much more then will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. I told you it's packed with theology. I would, I would love to just spend a few hours in this text, and we're going to, get to do that over the next few weeks. But we're going to just draw out a few verses. First, verses three and four. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our affliction because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. It's somewhat self-explanatory, but I'll explain it anyway. For, For some of us, I think for all of us, we don't like suffering. We don't like affliction. But there's hope in, in these verses because it, it seems that the affliction and the suffering has purpose. Some may find their hope in financial stability, so you work really hard to be financially stable. Some may find their hope in education, so you work really hard to gain a lot of education. You may find your hope in safety or in health. So you structured your life in the safest possible way, in the most safe conditions, and you pursue health with all that you have, working out, eating keto, realizing there's too much cholesterol. So now you're cutting back on meat. You're almost vegan, but you just love burgers too much. Bunless burgers. Sometimes you go with the Beyond Burger route. You want to be really, really healthy that's where your hope is a long life because I'm healthy I I get it too I eat healthy too I'm not dogging it I am but you know it's important point is all of that stuff when it's exposed is going to leave us disappointed ultimately you might feel good right now I feel my best when I'm eating healthy I feel my best when I'm sleeping well those things are important I, I love education I want to be safe. I want my family to be safe. Those things are important. But all of those things will fail you. They will leave you disappointed. You will decay. All your stuff decays. If you stop there, if you put your hope in those things, it's going to disappoint you. So a loving father, a faithful God, the ruler of the universe, the one who has all knowledge and all control does something for your sake, for my sake, he at least allows, but perhaps even invokes, suffering. And that affliction strips away our attachment to those things. The affliction reveals the hopelessness in those things. That's truth. It's not easy. I'm not saying that's easy. I'm with you. I don't like suffering. But I'm saying a faithful God uses it to give us hope that's sure. Hope in things is addressed through affliction. God, whether whether you believe he's, he's doing it or he just allows it, I don't care what your theology is there. The point is, he could stop it if he wants to, and he doesn't, because it's for your good. He wants you to put your hope in him and not that stuff, so he kicks out all the props, and he lets you fall. Or something else kicks the props, and he lets it happen. In our suffering, we look to Jesus, and that's the point of it all. It's It's all in love, and it's all in mercy, though it may not seem like it. Rather than destroy us, he destroys our idols. Rather than let us worship false gods, he burns them, so we'll worship him, or he allows the fire. You guys get it. Suffering makes us hope in God. So before you think he's egocentric or sadistic, in case you went there, what God knows is that Hope in creation will leave us in shame. It will leave us in disappointment. And he doesn't want us to be in shame. He doesn't want us to be disappointed. So he tells Adam and Eve how to find clothes. That's not what he planned or he did. It's not what he designed, but it's what a loving father does. So he kills an animal. He pours out blood and he clothes Adam and Eve. In the same way, Christ is killed. His blood is poured out so we can be clothed in his righteousness because we're ashamed and we need righteousness. So he kills his son to give it to us. Christmas is loaded with temptation to put our hope in other things. But God leads us down these paths of righteousness clothed in the righteousness of Christ sometimes they go through the valley of the shadow of death and he leads us to glory it's just going to take some time to get there so in this season you may hope that you find good cheer in songs and desserts they're going to make you happy for a second I'm sure of it I've already played NSYNC's Merry Christmas Happy Holidays I don't know why I'm not embarrassed It's a bop. You should try it out. There's going to be songs that make you happy. There's going to be things that make you happy this Christmas season. You're going to be tempted to put all your hope in them, and I'm begging you not to. They're not good enough. They're never going to be good enough. The music and the food is not going to make you happy enough. The time with family, though you long for that time with family, and you should, is not going to in itself strengthen relationships that are falling apart. It's not going to reconcile the brokenness just cuz you you were around each other. In fact, some cases it may make it worse. The wounds may get deeper. I know this from experience. Sometimes the hope we have in restored relationships may need to be displaced altogether. That's that's not good news, but it can point us to good news. If we hope ultimately in reconciliation with the Lord and not people, I'm not saying you shouldn't pursue it. Hear me clearly. I'm just saying reality is there's not hope outside of Jesus. So as we sing our songs and eat our food, I hope you hear me not being a bah humbug. I'm not being a bah humbug. I love Christmas as much as my mind will let me. I'm not, I'm not all, I'm not going to, okay. I'm not a bah humbug. There's just not sure hope there. So if you feel the longing for Christmas Day pointed instead to Jesus, long for his return, long for the second Advent. And then maybe, maybe there will be hope. Maybe it's going to require some suffering, but that's going to build character. And as you endure the suffering, that proving character will, will give you hope. And then we see that hope does not disappoint. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because... Of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. If you're born into this, you have perfect inheritance being kept for you. So when I tell you don't hope for the gifts under the tree, it's because you have gifts in a storehouse in heaven that are far better than whatever's sitting under that tree. You've been born into a living hope, so it's present, it's here right now. We have promises fulfilled in Christ. Israel hoped for something that would be, and it was a longing for something they've not yet seen. Well, the New Testament church has seen him. He's real, and he's risen, and he's saving for us something imperishable. and We have hope that isn't just future, but present with us now, a living hope. Jesus defeated death and gained for us an imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance. Whatever you hope for this year, it's fading. It's a shadow at best. But the light comes, and this light is so bright, there's no shadows. And he will come again. It's for sure. How do we know it's for sure? Verse 5 tells us of Romans chapter 5. We know He is who He says He is. He's going to do what He says He's going to do because of this verse. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Hope will not disappoint. Some translations say it will not leave us in shame. It does not leave us ashamed. In fact, we are free from shame altogether. Eventually, it's gone forever. Forever. Because Christ, going to the cross, despised shame. He was shamed on our behalf. God's love, it says, has been poured out into our hearts. So here's the key. It's not intellectual here. It's not gain more understanding and knowledge. It's an experience of having God's love poured into your heart. Where does your hope come from? It comes from God's love being poured into your heart. This hope we're talking about that doesn't disappoint comes from God pouring out his love by the power of the Spirit through the person and work of Christ into your heart. At the right time, verse 6 says, died for the ungodly. He died to purchase this love for you who don't, you and me who don't deserve the love. Jesus invaded our lives to give us hope. This is an experience every individual must have in order to have the hope we're talking about. It's knowing God. It's relationship with God. It's accomplished one way. We're talking about the gospel, Jesus, the outpouring of God's love. He so loved us that he gave his only son by the power of the Spirit to have hope hope that won't disappoint. I want you to have this experience. I want you to know this love. I would guess there's people here who don't know this love. You, you're disappointed often. You won't be disappointed if you know Him. You won't be disappointed if you have this hope. Isn't that the scary thing about hope? That it's going to leave us disappointed? Isn't that the reason so many of us have these defense mechanisms to not get our hopes up because we don't want to be disappointed. There's brokenness, there's sin that brings us to a point that we would say, I'll just never be hopeful. I'll just never have expectations. The only problem is you never get to be hopeful. (laughs) And hope is good. Being hopeful feels good. It's the disappointment we're afraid of. Well, good news. This hope doesn't disappoint. Do you believe it? Will you allow yourself to believe there's a hope that doesn't disappoint? Can you open yourself up? Can you bring down the the defense like, I know that that has served you well because I've used it. I know that this mechanism in our minds has, we've just developed psychologically so that we would never be hurt again, so that we never be disappointed again. We've done our best to take it into our own hands to fight, to preserve the good feelings. We've put up all these walls so nothing will ever disappoint us. And I'm telling you, Jesus suffered Jesus died and he rose with victory over it so that you could let that stuff down. So will you just let yourself hope? Will you just take a a breath? Like, talk to yourself. Tell, Tell yourself, it's okay to rest. It's okay to let it down. It's okay to hope. Because I have the faith to believe this text is true. And this is not going to leave me disappointed. Or, or even if you go with the translation, it's not going to leave me ashamed. In a shame, honor culture, this would be incredibly meaningful. At all costs you, you avoid shame. Well, he has a hope for you that will not leave you in shame. You're not going to be embarrassed by this. It's not going to leave you empty. It's not going to leave you wanting more. His love is so good, you'll see that disappointment is impossible. It cannot happen. It's got to be good news for you who have for so long fought against it. It's time to let that guard down. It's, it's time to hope. And when you've experienced the love of God in this way, poured out into your hearts, you'll see that it's good and it's trustworthy and it's comforting. And then hope will rush in. In case you still doubt it, verse 8 says, God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, that means that your worst. That means when you were an enemy, when you were fallen, when you were broken, when you were undeserving, when you were helpless, when you're hopeless, you don't deserve it. You can't earn it. Your filthy rags at your best. Christ died for us at that moment. At the right time, He died for us. He came, He died, He rose, He ascended, and He will surely come again. Do you have faith to believe it? And faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things you can't see. So the things you see tell you don't be hopeful. But our faith tells us be hopeful. And the things that are unseen are eternal. So for now we wait, remembering his faithfulness, experiencing his love. We're filled with hope that will not disappoint us. So may God direct our steps in this. May may God direct your hearts. May God tear down the walls, whatever it takes, knock down the props from underneath you so you can look to him with hope that is sure. Ask him to do that. Ask him to pour out hope into your hearts through his love. Ask Him to remove the false hope and stuff of this world, the creation that will certainly disappoint you. And may we see Him more clearly this Christmas than we ever have before. And, and with expectant hearts, we celebrate it. We turn to Him. We sing Christmas hymns and songs because we have hope. We slow down enough to see. There's hope. To feel the tension in the rope. Slow down enough. Stop trying to Stop trying to find relaxation. Don't try to relieve the tension. Feel it and be hopeful. And then maybe, perhaps, our hope will shine so bright into the darkness, into the hopelessness of this world, that many more will come and see the hope we have in Christ and see that it's different than the hope they have and stuff in this world. And when we say he's the reason for the season... Maybe then it'll be true. And we'll actually demonstrate it by the way we live our lives. Hear from God's word. This is Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us for the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed for the creation was subjected to fertility not willingly but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom from God's children of God's children for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now not only that not only that but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits we also groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for adoption the redemption of our bodies now in now in this hope we are saved but hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees now if we hope for what we do not see we eagerly wait for it with patience in the same way the spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what what to pray for what to pray for as we should but the spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. For we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, and those he predestined, he also called. and those he called, he also justified. and those he justified, he also glorified. I want you to see and know that Jesus suffered much, so that we could be freed from suffering. Now we have hope, though we currently suffer, it's nothing compared to the glory we'll receive. We have hope. Hebrews 12 tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. Isaiah 53 prophetically speaks of the many, that's us, the many, who he has suffered for. So what was the hope that Jesus had? The hope that Jesus had was us, the many, that his suffering would accomplish for us what could not be ours unless he suffered. That's meaningful because it's hope that allows for joy. It's hope that allows for peace. It's hope found in the pouring out of God's love as he poured out his wrath on Christ. Ultimately, it's for the glory of the King because all things point to Him. Jesus died that God would be glorified, but certainly it's for our good. And all things work together for our good. This is Advent. The coming of Christ is the evidence and the fulfillment of it all. So we celebrate with hope while we long for a day when hope will no longer be necessary. Let's pray. Lord, I ask you to come because I we know that though hope is good, it's not enough. We want to see you show up. We want to see you with us. We want to we feel hope go away, the tension relieved. As we stand in your presence, I pray for the people who heard this message today I don't I don't know where everyone's heart is I don't know what doubts and struggles there are I don't I don't know what tensions and sufferings are in the room but God I know that you do and so I pray that you would give us hope as we fix our eyes on Jesus and run this race with confidence I thank you for advent that you would step in and take on flesh And endure suffering, even to the point of death on a cross. Also, thank you for the resurrection, that you didn't stay dead, but you gave us reason to believe that hope is sure and will not disappoint as you defeated death. And I pray with my brothers and sisters, not just in this room, but across this world today as Advent has begun and across history as your church has longed for you, We pray with hope for the second advent that you will come. It's certain. Help us, God, to to live with hope today. In Jesus' name, amen.